Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Once I was driven by my need for professional success and acclaim, much of what drove me was having grown up in a household devoid of a mother who was sick with cancer and a father who physically and mentally abused me. I pursued a life in stand-up comedy to find the, that love and feeling of some kind of self-worth and value. I fell victim to chasing money on Wall Street, a Wall Street career where each payday made me think I was deserving of receiving love and respect. All of my endeavors struggling to achieve great success through financial prowess were yanked from me overnight some five years ago. It was in this time of destitute and despair that I was not only found, but brought to Trinity Baptist Church to meet and embrace Jesus Christ. My introduction to Jesus took place while I trembled in the arms of a God-loving Christian woman on our prayer team who facilitated my transformation. All at once, a lifetime of abandonment and need to search for that love I so desperately wanted that disappeared. That day I walked out of this church new and transformed and thoroughly embalmed in the love of Jesus Christ. Since coming to Christ, I have been faced with the overwhelming challenge of providing for my family and procuring and maintaining meaningful employment, as many have. This has been a very long struggle that has tested my strength and patience. I know because of the economic conditions that the odds are stacked against me. Yet I also know that this is not my battle to fight. Yet how often I forget. I need to turn this over to Christ and lay all my faith in him. This I have struggled with. Today, I try to have a daily dialogue with Jesus and know he loves me and know that he will be there whenever I need him. However, I fail a lot in this that as I so easily take my eyes off Christ and end up falling and ending up isolated, angry, alone, and unloved. This for me is the toughest part of being a Christian. Just like the commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. The difference is now every time I fall, I'm pulled. I'm drawn close with Jesus, and I do come close. I seek fellowship in men's groups and serving in many capacities to just draw close, stay close with Christ. Yet in, many, in a matter of days or weeks, I fall again. He wants me and wants me in all the way. My name is Mike Little, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm reading from John 4, 7 12. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love 
does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Amen. a minute to do some surgery up here. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, my name is Dave Page. I'm one of the elders here at Trinity. And uh, it is um, a lot of different emotions about being here with you today, but it, it is a, a privilege and a joy. I, I usually only get to do this once a year and it's with the, the summer crowd. So it's, it's really nice to have people, you know, in, in fall weather here today. <laughs> Um, so Mike, thank you. I, I just, I love your testimony, dude. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you to our worship team. I just, I, uh, Dave Kim is back in the house. I mean, it's just, um, I, I am just so blessed to, to be here with you guys today. Um, also a shout out to to Keith and James because I don't usually have to do this twice in a day because over the summer we're at once service. So, whew, it's exhausting, guys. Just, <laughs> just saying. Um, if you've been with us in this series uh, called Mission Possible, we've been, we've been starting, each sun, uh, starting each service with a little small group discussion, and we're going to continue that today. If you need some background on why we do that, I'd encourage you to check out last week's message on the podcast. But uh, right now, I want you to first uh, turn and find a group of three or four people. Uh, as Keith would say, no less than three, no more than four, three or four. Say hi, introduce yourselves. All right, all right. So you're going to have two minutes, so about 30 or 40 seconds a person, uh, to talk about what embarrasses you. What kind of things make you get all red in the cheeks? What embarrasses you? Two minutes, go. So if, if you've been with us the last eight weeks, you know that we're in this series called Mission Possible. Uh, where we are looking at the commissioning that Jesus gave his church uh, to go and make disciples, and more specifically at the mission statement that he's given us at Trinity Baptist Church. I'm hopeful that we're all relatively familiar with it, and so why don't we read this together if we can get it up on the screen. Trinity is an international and multi-generational community dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ who are growing in faith, obedience, and joy as we go out to advance God's kingdom. So we've been breaking down, that was very good, by the way. Um, so we've been breaking down the, the mission. Uh, at the core is, is making disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's, 
usually a good place to start because that's what Jesus told us to do. And emanating from that core are five spokes. We've been talking about community, faith, obedience, joy, and now we're going to kind of wrap up with, with going out today. Um, let me try to quickly recap the, the eight weeks in about 90 seconds. We, we started, again, by looking at Jesus' commission to the church to go and make disciples of all nations. And that following Jesus in that mission requires us to be all in because true discipleship is not about being comfortable. God calls us into that, that mission, but foundationally, he's calling us first into a relationship with him. God is calling us to him, to God, by God, for God. And if we're really seeking relationship with, with Jesus, we're not just a supporter, we're, uh, we're a follower. We become an apprentice. And that means that we don't just memorize the good stuff that the Bible talks about, we actually become doers. We become doers of the word. The mark of an apprentice, uh, what Keith said back in, I think, week three, is, is becoming Jesus in our attitudes and doing the things that Jesus did. It means that we're developing deeper faith and and looking for areas of our life where we're being complacent and trying to stretch ourselves, trying to eliminate that complacency. Because if we're comfortable and satisfied with our lives, then there's there's no reason to exercise any faith. God created us for, for a bigger life than that. He created us for a life that we can't live on our own without him. When our faith is increasing and we're leaning more and more into the character of God, we desire to become more obedient to what God says. And that's, that's not out of a legalistic obligation. That's because of the relationship that's developing. Jesus says that if you love me, you'll obey me. Deeper faith and greater obedience should result in, in more abundant joy coming from the wellspring that is Christ living, living within us. As followers of Jesus, our joy is not based on subjective feelings about what's going on in the day, but it's based on an an objective reality that God came to save me from my sins. He loved me so much that he died for me. All of this culminates in in the church being a missional community, and this is what Keith talked about last week. It's a, a body of believers that God wants to use to make sense of the world and demonstrate to that world who God is. And we do this together because the mission is too great for any one of us individually to accomplish. We cannot truly be a follower of Jesus independent of the church. And we will not reach the full potential that God has intended us for without being part of that church. So all of those building blocks are interwoven today as we look at what it means to go out into the world and and advance God's kingdom. So looking back at the question that you, you were discussing a few minutes ago, what, what embarrasses you? For some people, it might be something like public speaking. Or for the youth, uh, if they were here, they'd probably say mom or dad. Um, for me, it, um, <clears throat> one thing that comes to mind is a, uh, a long-lost VHS tape of a seventh-grade lip-syncing performance of the, <laughs> of the Village People's Macho Man um, that... I'm terrified. Will one day resurface? Mom, if you're watching, that was not a subtle plea to go find it. Let it lie. Um, <laughs> love you, Mom. Uh, while, while I'm not sure what embarrasses you, each of you individually, um, I'm guessing whether we admit it or not, for some of us in some situations, it, it can be related to our faith. 
the fact that we call ourselves a Christian. Whether it's the societal connotations that come along with, with, uh, with that term, it may be others that claim to be affiliated with that terminology that we don't want to be under the same umbrella. Um, it may feel uncomfortable to, to bring it into the workplace or non-church settings, especially, um, I mean, if you're like me, outside of Trinity, I hang out, I'm, I'm engaged with mostly non-believers in, in my workplace. Regardless of where you land on this, it, it should raise a few healthy questions for us. Do those we interact with throughout our week know that we call ourselves followers of Jesus? Are we the same people Monday through Saturday as we are in here on Sunday? Is there anything about us that's causing people to think that we might be different? I think those are extremely timely questions for us to be asking ourselves today. Um, in what might be the understatement of my life, this week has been interesting. We are such a diverse body of Christ um, that given the events of, of this past week, I would venture a guess that the full range of human emotions can be found in this room. Some are likely angry, sad, disgusted, worried, confused. Others may be celebratory, hopeful, feeling justified. <clears throat> there are some that are probably just flat out shocked and others that are just exhausted and relieved that November 8th is over. I also have no doubt that that same wide range of emotions is found outside of these doors in the people in our city and, and across the country. It's not difficult to conclude whether you're watching the news or um, I happened to, to walk by the protesters last night on Fifth Avenue, that, that rifts are growing wider. Conflict is festering and derision is only increasing across a number of different lines. Uh, in an email that Beth sent to um, kind of everybody involved in the service today on Wednesday, she said, uh, <clears throat> the Lord saw fit to plant us in a culture deeply divided, which I thought was a, a really wise and valuable perspective. Because regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, which candidate you were for or against, what your party affiliation or your particular stance on issue X, Y, or Z is, as the body of Christ, as we lead into today's message, we need to remember two things. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Number one, our God is bigger than the results of any election, and he is still on the throne. And because he is bigger than any election, he wants you to bring to him the things you are feeling. There's nothing wrong with feeling what you're feeling. But you need to bring it to the Lord and allow him to fill you with his peace and love and understanding. Find comfort in the comforter in, in this difficult time. Psalm 146 says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Blessed are those whose hope is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Number two, collectively as the unified body of Christ, our identity and our hope is in one thing and one thing alone, and that is the saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The God we follow is, is sovereign overall. He is just as much in control um, today as he was on Wednesday, as he was on Monday. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the President of presidents. 
And he has opened up for us, the church, a unique opportunity for his hope to be made known to people in new ways. God has planted us here with a purpose, to be the unified church and to communicate that hope to the world. Thankfully, uh, none of what's been happening is a surprise to God. Um, that doesn't mean that he is content to leave things as they are. It doesn't mean that he's not upset by the conflict inside and outside of the church. And it certainly doesn't mean that he's wondering what to do. He's got a plan. And like it or not, it's us. In Matthew 5, Jesus used the metaphor of, of salt and light when he spoke about how his followers should interact with and impact the world around them. Starting in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. <clears throat> in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. God's plan for impacting the world is us. We are to be his witnesses, the reflection of his love, his goodness, and his character. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world that he's talking about. And there, there, we could dig into this all day. Um, people have written books on these four verses, I'm sure. But let, let's, there are three things that I want us to, to grasp from this. Number one, salt has to be flavorful. It has to have a certain differentiating quality. It has to be distinct and different from what it's intended to season. It must taste noticeably different from that food that it's on. Jesus said, if the salt doesn't have any flavor or taste the same as the food that you added to, then what's the point? The same principle applies in our walk as Christians in our culture. If we look at the world around us, if we are flavorless salt, then we won't be effective carriers, effective messengers of God's love to the world. If we are to be salt, we have to be distinctive and noticeably different than the cultural norms that are all around us. Number two, uh, from a logical perspective, if salt is going to be effective, it has to be in contact, in proximity with what it's seasoning. So when I make, when I make grilled chicken at home, um, you know, I find chicken to be a little bit bland by itself, and so I'll add some salt and other spices. But when I put everything on the grill pan, I don't put the chicken over here and then the salt over here in a little pile. It's got to be in contact. It's got to get intimate and get into the the skin, the chicken of what it's trying to season, right? Um, <clears throat> Jesus' description of his followers as salt of the earth presupposes that we are in contact with the world. Not that we are of the world, but that we are in the world. And we are engaging with people around us. That we're, we're seeing opportunities and not backing away from them, but moving towards people. Even when it seems easier to, to disengage. As Christians, if we make no effort to be in the thick of the world around us, then we are of little value to Christ and his mission. Number three. <clears throat> I can't believe I'm going to do this again. 
This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, sing with me. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. So the elders over the summer, <laughs> uh, a few of those guys did some singing, so I'm just kind of playing catch up. But there, there's a lot of truth packed into that little song. And, and what we need to see is that God made us to be the light in the world that he created. Now, light from a functional perspective is used to, to cut through the darkness, to provide uh, guidance and, and visibility in the darkness. Um, the same is true of our faith as, as Christians. If we're not, if we're hiding our light, then the darkness rules and the darkness is there. If we're not living our faith out in visible ways, then <clears throat> it doesn't point to or guide people to anything. Um, in what may seem like a complete non sequitur, uh, is anyone familiar with Spider-Man? Does anybody know that, that one-liner that Uncle Ben kind of gives him consistently? Thanks. If you were here for a service, you're cheating. Um, yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. I was, I was thinking this week that for us as followers of Jesus, it, it needs to be tweaked a little bit to say, with great hope comes great responsibility. We know what the hope for the world is. We have the answer to the most important question that people can ask in this world. And there's a responsibility that comes along with that knowledge. Jesus says very plainly that if anyone is ashamed of him or his message, then he will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory. So how, how is Jesus saying here that we can relay that message, that good news? Verse 16. Let your love and good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There's a duty that comes with this light that we have, that we've been given to let it reverberate and be visible to those around us, to help point people to Jesus. So I hope this gets you thinking about how salty you really are. How salty am I? What am I, what am I salting? Am I close enough to be salting anything? How bright is, is my light? And are people able to, to see it? In other words, are we different enough that people are asking about or noticing our faith? If not, then we are falling short of living out the differentiating love that Jesus calls us to. Uh, I kind of felt this, this very convictingly this week. Um, I've worked at the, the same financial firm for about 10 years, um, and I've worked with the same five or 10 people for the last two or three. Um, I mean, we're, we're relatively close as acquaintances go. Um, and while we typically avoid political chatter on Wednesday, um, there, there was a lot of discussion. Um, we're kind of data people, so at first it was just about, you know, how, how could all these, these polls have been wrong, what an upset, what all the statistical mumbo-jumbo that comes along with that. Um, but later in the day, there was one conversation that was being had that um, I wasn't really a part of, but I, I kind of heard what was being said. Um, much like our, our Trinity community, I work with a very, a very diverse group of people. There are people of Asian and Latino descent, people of Jewish and Muslim faith. And I, it, was, it was very eye-opening to me, I, I guess, as a white male, 
the amount of fear, legitimate fear that was being expressed by these people. Um, not just about where our country is heading, but for them individually and their families. I need to figure out how I can embrace that opportunity. I don't have the answers right now, but my job is not to debate why people, in the Bible it says, weep with those who weep. My, my job is not to you know, debate whether they should be weeping or not. I need to first embrace them as Jesus would. Um, that's the challenge that we're all going to have as opportunities like that are open to us, especially over the next couple of weeks, but in perpetuity. Uh, I mean, there will be things that come along in our life where we see these opportunities to, to share and live out the love of God, and we need, to, we need to be bold enough to step into those. God planted us here in these circumstances in this time. Many would say that it's a, a time with unprecedented challenges and obstacles, but we need to see it as a time of unprecedented opportunity for living out the gospel for people to see. We need to embrace those openings to be, to be salt and light by demonstrating God's unifying goodness in a deeply divided world. Does that challenge excite and encourage you? Or are you going to be slinking down in your seats as I survey the room and try to make eye contact with you? <laughs> Loving people is tough. It's, I mean, people are messy. I mean, have you met some of them? <laughs> there, there are most definitely going to be people that we come across in our lives, whether they're, they're regular interactions or, or, you know, random sightings on the subway, who are just difficult to love. Um, but we have a model for that. Jesus spent a few years on this earth, and I'm going to guess that he interacted with a few of what we might call extra grace required people. Um, <clears throat> he modeled it for us, but he didn't design for us or intend for us to do it on our own. When he tells us in the, in the book of Acts that we will be his witnesses, it's only after he's empowered us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' desire is that we allow his power, his overwhelming love, to work through us, to point people to who he really is, to allow them to engage with him and then be changed. As we live in the truth of God's love for us and reflect that love to the world, we have the opportunity as the church to destroy preconceptions of God as a scornful big man in the sky and... Christians as judgmental, judgmental holier than thou's. In the verses that Mike read for us, the Apostle Paul is reiterating, reiterating the main theme of his first letter, which is love. John was adamant that saving grace does not release us from the obedience that's required in living out God's message of uh, God's command to love God and love others. Growing in faith, obedience, and joy isn't just for us. And it isn't just for building our relationship with God and within the church. It's so that we can love others outside more fully and more passionately as Jesus would. So looking at verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us consider one another, uh, sorry, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love doesn't come from us. In our heart of hearts, we are all wretched creatures. Not one of us is righteous before God. <clears throat> We cannot call on our own reserves or capacity for love. Thankfully, 
love comes from God. This love that John is, is describing is full. It's pure. It's without blemish because it hasn't been touched by humanity. It comes directly from the source of love. That's what we have access to. He continues, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John presents a very binary logical argument here. If a person loves, they know God. If a person does not love, because God by definition is love, then that person cannot know God. We cannot call ourselves a follower of Jesus if we are not going out to love one another actively. It doesn't compute in the, the math of the kingdom of God. In verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John's kind of re-baselining here to make sure that his readers are tracking with him. God is love. God communicated that selfless love to us by the sacrifice of his son. It's good for us to be reminded of this. This is the core. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins that we wouldn't have to. That's what we... the the genesis of our love that we can communicate to other people. And it's not because of anything that we've done. This love from God was not earned. It was not in return for anything. Uh, certainly not any love that we've sent to him. For that reason, because we are recipients of his perfect love, since God so loved us, John pleads with us to pour out that love on others and thus represent God to them. God he completes this thought in the next verse when he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Jesus was the, the full and complete expression of the Father's love in human form. When we demonstrate love towards others, that interaction helps reveal the invisible, the invisible God to others through us. So amidst everything that's going on in the world, God saw fit to place us here as his witnesses in this unique time in history with the intention that we reflect his love, his goodness, his character because of what he's first done for us. And John says we do that by, by loving one another, as tough as that can be sometimes. If you were here over the summer, uh, the series per immediately preceding um, Mission Possible was our share series where we talked about the importance of being able to to tell our stories, being able to communicate the before and after, the life change that God has done in our lives. <clears throat> and that's still very important. But if our story is not substantiated by actions that reflect the very love of God, that, the God that we say transformed us, then is there really life change here? Is your story going to have any impact? What's the point? We cannot only talk the talk. Jesus calls us to walk the walk. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had the, the joy of attending my, uh, my grandmother's uh, celebratory memorial service. Um, it's always a bit sad to say goodbye, but she, she lived a blessed life, and she desperately loved the Lord. Um, 
one of my father's childhood friends, Phil, uh, was there, and his family used to live in the same neighborhood. And as part of that tribute, he told a story that uh, most of the family had not heard. And I'll apologize in advance to Phil and my family because I wasn't taking notes when he told the story. But the crux of it is something like this. Um, Phil's family moved into the neighborhood where my dad grew up sometime in the late 1960s. And shortly after they moved in, Phil's older brother was killed in Vietnam. And the family was understandably going through a a really tough time. Uh, When my grandmother heard about what happened, she went down to the family's house to extend condolences to, to Phil's mother, who had just lost her son. And a friendship was born through that action. And at some point, my, my grandmother invited Phil, uh, Phil's mother to a Bible study at her house. And eventually, Phil's mother gave her life to Christ. And in the years that followed, Phil, his sister, and several other family members also committed their lives to Christ. I see that as you know, my grandmother took a step towards people in a difficult time. God was able to do a saving work in the lives of much of that family, in part because my grandmother didn't hide the light that she had been given. She stepped out in faith and tried her darndest to love that family well. So I want us to get back into our groups for for another two minutes, and and this will be a a little bit deeper question. Um, Outside the walls of Trinity, I want you to to grade yourself on a scale of one to five. How how well are you being salt and light to the people that you rub elbows with? How well are you loving others? Uh, And what's one thing that you could tweak this week in the midst of everything that's going on to be be saltier, to be a brighter light? So take two minutes, um, two to three minutes, and, and discuss. I don't know whether anybody had, had the guts to say it or if you're just thinking it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reiterate one thing that we said before, that loving people is tough. It, it, is, it is challenging. The fact that God, Jesus, commanded us to do it and desires for us to do it doesn't necessarily make it any easier. But we can't see this as an impossible command. Jesus wouldn't give us an impossible mission, and loving people is key to his mission. Jesus will ensure that the Great Commission does not fail because he will enable and empower his church to accomplish it. Loving each other well in here and outside (coughs) is possible, and actually everything that we've talked about over the last eight weeks has been leading into this. If we're trying to do community well, then we are spurring one another on towards loving good deeds. If we're growing in faith, we're continuously looking for areas of complacency in our lives and challenging ourselves to step out in that. If we're growing in obedience, we're we're discovering new layers and and new meanings behind Jesus' commands to love God and love others. And if we're becoming more joyful, we should be overflowing and, and can't help but let people know that that's happening. If you look at our mission statement, all of these things are done as we go out, which means they're done concurrently. When we look back on on all that we've learned, truly seeking to be an apprentice of Jesus, becoming like him in our attitudes and doing the things that he did, we can't neglect our responsibility. We can't turn our backs on the opportunity to love on an aching world, being the church, and representing our Lord well. 
Um, there's a lot written this week that, that I tried to kind of consume in, in prep for this, but one thing that I, I thought was um, was well said, it, this is uh, actually from a pastor, at one, of, uh, one of the pastors at my parents' church in Maryland. He said, there has never been a more important time for us, the body of Christ, to unleash love. And that is not something that will happen without sacrificial commitment to the mission of God, doing the hard work of being and making disciples of Christ. There is justice to fight for, life to fend for, mercy to give, cups of cold water to, to administer, or coffee if you're doing a coffee cart. There's truth to tell, and there's a people that we must be as we walk humbly with our God. Jesus promised that the world will know that we are his disciples by our love. If we can take that seriously, everyone will benefit. Let me wrap this up um, before I pray us out by circling back to, to where we started with Jesus' great commission. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus de is declaring his Father has given him all the authority. But then he turns to his followers, followers and says, Because I have all that authority, I'm now charging you with the task of making disciples. I'm going to empower you to take on this mission. He's not leaving us out in the cold because he promises at the end that he'll be with us. But he's, he's passing the baton. He's handing this mission off to us. And he's giving us the privilege and responsibility of participating in a task that is way bigger than ourselves. And that has eternal purpose. This is certainly a possible mission should we choose to accept it. So I'd like to pray us out a little bit differently today. Um, I'd like you all to stand up and I'll try to commission ourselves as we go out because we want to be doers of the word. We do not want this stuff to go in one ear and out the other. So pray with me. Lord, we are so grateful that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. We praise you that you have called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. And we thank you for inviting us into this opportunity to partner with you in demonstrating your unfailing love, to be salt and light to a broken world that is so in need of a God who saves. We wait with eager anticipation to see how you are going to build and use your church in this critical time. Lord, as we go forward this week and beyond, we ask that you would grow our hearts toward others, that you would open our eyes to opportunities to live out your healing love to the people around us who do, so desperately need it. I pray that each of us would take up the responsibility that comes with knowing you are the hope of the world. People want hope, but we know that true hope is only found in you. Our living God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In all of this, Lord, we, we desire that you would be glorified, that your name would be proclaimed. So we echo Paul's words uh, in his prayer to the Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>